Welcome to London Riverside Church Podcast. We hope you have a great day. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Good morning everyone. Good morning to those of you up on the balcony, to those in the venue, the overflow and also those of you here in the room right now. It's good to be here. Uh, Week two in your series, Got Questions. We're going to answer the question of the day of who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? But before we get to that, I thought I'd explain a little bit about who am I? Who am I? And let me first begin with the accent. Uh, I hope you don't think I'm American. Not that that would be bad, but um, uh, I, uh, I'm English, and so I was raised about an hour up the M11 uh, in the city or the outside of the city of Cambridge, and I uh, lived there until I was around 21 years old, until the late 90s, and then in the late 90s I went to America, um, and then now serve, at a, serve as a pastor on a church staff team there for 24 years. Uh, so I was 21 when I left England, now I'm 48. As of this past week, it's the first time I've said that in public, it's getting very close to 50. Again, if you're 50, it's okay, it's okay, tell me about that. Um, anyway, with that all being said, um, I'm married, uh, my wife's American, and uh, we have, see if you're ready, seven children, uh, seven children. Um, so uh, people always tell me, like I've never heard this before, like you know how that happens, right? And I'm like, no, do tell me, do tell me, how does that happen? Uh, but no, I've been told uh, that's quite a stunning number. So let me tell you a principle about married life. Raise your hand if you're married right now. All right, so you're going to understand this. I'm going to illustrate a principle of um, truly the way a marriage functions in the way of really uh, appreciating one another and compromising in the context of marriage. So my wife's American. We met, and uh, after about 20 minutes, true story, I said to her, uh, though she didn't know me, uh, she said, I don't know you at all. And I said, after 20 minutes, we should get married. She said, well, what about, what's your first name? And I said, oh, we'll get to my first name. We'll get to all of that in the years ahead. But 27 years of marriage now, we have been married. And uh, so we're so thankful for that. But anyway, here's how compromise works. When I met Laurie, she said, uh, I want seven children. And I was like, who says that? And so I said, "Uh, that's interesting. She goes, how many do you want? Well, I realized something at this point. I could lose the girl by saying a number that's too low, or I could inflate the number a little bit to try and gain the girl, so I inflated the number considerably and said five. Well, here's the way compromise works in the marriage. Uh, We have seven children. So we compromised and had the number that she wanted. But anyway, um, that's the way it works. Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about Jesus, and then we'll get into the message uh, for the weekend. Jesus has changed my life. He's changed my life and he's restored an identity to me. He has not only forgiven me and saved me from my sin, but he has saved me from myself. And he has spoken life and value into me. And here is my prayer. My prayer over the next 25 minutes is as we kind of dig into this content and we look at four big viewpoints about who is Jesus, here is my prayer that you would realize today that Jesus can be your savior. He can be your Messiah, whether you're visiting from out of town right now or whether this is your hometown, whether this is your home church and whether you love Jesus or whether you don't know Jesus right now and you're like, I'm figuring out if I want to be at Riverside. Here's the point. I pray that you would experience the work of God today. And you know, oftentimes we on Sunday mornings can feel like we're going through the motions of faith, right? You know, we sing, we study the word, we do relationship together, we have our kids and kids ministry and we go through the motions of church, but... London Riverside Church, I want to say, don't ever be the church that goes through the motions of faith. Be a church in motion by faith. Be a church that is leaning into the things of God here in Dagenham and beyond, that you would make a difference in this world, amen? 
because there are a lot of hurting people out there. And while we have found the hope of Christ, we're not just to keep it for ourselves. We're to spill it out into all the world. So I pray a spilling out over you this weekend. Spill out Jesus. But let's pray, and then we'll dig into the Word of God. And uh, we're going to look at a lot of references today. And so if you need the references, they'll be on the screen. Also, if you want to turn in your Bible, you can do so as well. But let's pray. Father, we pray right now that our lives would be informed, conformed, and transformed by Jesus, that our knowledge base would be informed because of the finished work of the cross, that our story and the situations of our lives would be transformed by grace through faith. We say today that faith is not a a thin feeling, it's a bold action. So Lord, help us make bold actions today. Let Let us go boldly into the world because of what you have done in and through our lives. And Jesus, I pray right now, no matter whether we know you, or whether we don't, or whether we're in this process of growing and knowing, I pray right now, Jesus, that we would put our eyes on you. Holy Spirit, would you speak through this moment right now? Would you allow my words and the power of your word to bring about some sort of convergence in our lives today to where we would move in the direction of Jesus even more? And we ask this in your name, amen and amen. Beyond all doubt, I believe that Jesus... And the the name of Jesus is beyond all brand and all icons, and no one can can deny the historicity of Jesus. Jesus is the global brand, if you will. I love what Yale historian Yaroslav Pelikan writes. He writes this. I'm going to quote it for you. Regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. And I love what he says. He says, if it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull up out of history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, how much would be left? Amen, right? And then Time Magazine from the U.S. described Jesus this way, the most persistent symbol of purity, selflessness, and love in the history of humanity. Church, Jesus' impact, as it is immense, is equally intentional. God intended for his son to come into the world and to wreck and restore the world, wreck it from its brokenness in terms of saying things are not okay and restore it in the sense that God wants to do a new thing. But yet wrapped up in this notoriety, wrapped up in this grand brand that is Jesus, there is diverse opinion as to who Jesus is. In fact, I don't know if you've ever done this. Grab your computer maybe later or grab your phone, Safari or Internet Explorer and type in, who is Jesus? Or Jesus is, dot, dot, dot. You're going to get some crazy suggestions. One of the things that you're going to find is that Jesus is, and I don't even know what this term means, Jesus is my homeboy. Uh, That is one of the things. In fact, you can buy clothing, merchandise, with Jesus is my homeboy on it. Who would like to see Pastor Gowan next weekend wearing Jesus is my homeboy? That's right. JesusIsMyHomeboy.com. You can buy it right now. Give it as a gift. I think that's the website anyway. But as much as that is silly, almost blasphemous, the reality is there are some bizarre thoughts as to who is Jesus. But if you consult world religion, world religions would say he is a religious reformer. Some world religions would say he is a prophet. But here we are now, 2,000 years on, from when Jesus walked this world, the question remains, who is he really? Well, the way you go about answering that question is by consulting 26,000 earliest manuscripts that inspire Scripture, 
the 27 books in the New Testament, and the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So that's where we're going to really root the account of who is Jesus. And as I said, I'm going to give you four points about Jesus. But let's start with the basics, and then we'll build into some of the theology of who is Jesus. Jesus was born between 0 and 4 B.C. Not necessarily 0. There are some who believe 0. But what we do know is it was Anno Domini, and then it was B.C. So it was before Christ, and then Christ came, and then the storyline of history emerged out of that 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, and so on. But Jesus came about, and he was entrusted through virgin conception to an earthly couple, uh, a real humble couple, you might even say, Mary and Joseph. And it says the baby came forth. You can read about it. There are two accounts in the scriptures, complementary accounts of how Jesus came about. One of them is Luke. And it says that there was no room in the inn, but yet they brought forth a child, and they named him Yeshua. Yeshua, in the Hebrew, Joshua. And you go, oh, wait, I thought it was Jesus. Well, it is Jesus. Jesus is this transliteration throughout history and language from Yeshua in Hebrew to Joshua to the Greek Christos to now in the English and the anglicized version of the Greek, Christ. He came forth as Christ. And while we don't know much about the early years of his life, what we do know is that when he was 12, he went to the temple. You can read about that account where he went to the temple and he started teaching people and he was running his mouth about himself. He was talking to them and explaining the scripture to them and it says that mom and dad left and they were a half a day's journey away from the temple. You ever left your child somewhere on accident? Notice what I did there? Not on purpose. But you actually left yourself and all of a sudden you're like worried because you've left part of yourself being your child back where you were and you run back to get them. Well, they get there and it's this crazy interaction where Jesus basically does this like teenage head shake. He's like, Mom, what are you talking about? I'm doing the Lord's work. And she's like, yeah, whatever, come with me. Anyway, so when he was 12, he was there at the temple. But we don't know much more about him. But what we do know is this. We do know that like most Jewish boys, as they're three, four, five, six, they would have been learning the Torah. Jesus as a good Jewish boy, would have been studious in the Talmud or the Torah, but he would have also been trained in being a carpenter. In terms of the trades, he was part of a construction family, and so he would have been immersing himself in the reality of the trades. Also, he would have been studying, but also he says that according to history, he never really did venture much from the house. So maybe Jesus was a homeboy after all. And then the last thing is this, that contrary to works of modern fiction, such as Dan Brown and other books such as that, Jesus never did get married. He didn't have a crush on Mary and Martha. And it says that with his family being as known as they were in the early church, if there had been any evidence there, according to a relationship, it would have been documented, but nothing. Jesus was devoted to his father, his father's business, and he gave himself to that. But why do I talk to you about the humanity of Jesus, his why? Next weekend, you're going to talk more about why did Jesus die? Well, let me tell you, him being fully human is essential in fulfilling the storyline and the purpose of his life to satisfy the curse of God, as it were, the curse of humanity where they fell and sinned. Jesus steps into that space, and he had to be fully man while fully God, to satisfy that curse and to bring about this reconciliation between God and man. Lots of big church words there, but don't lose me here. 
basically, there was a great divide between God and mankind because of Genesis. Man sinned. And the only way, as humans, we could have our relationship restored with God is for a human to die in our place, for blood to be spilled, for the relationship to be restored. That is who Jesus is. But we're going to get to that. Point number one. Point number one, if you want to write these down, or if you want to try and remember them, or take a picture of the slide when you see it on the screen, point number one is Jesus is the only Son of God. The only Son of God. Jesus was God incarnate. When I say the word incarnate, it's a word we use around Christmas time. But what does incarnate mean? I'm going to help you remember this word. Incarnate, it's a theological word. It means that God became flesh. Think of chili con carne. Think of if you're in the States and you go to a Mexican restaurant, you get carne asada and you get some spices on it. Yummy. Who's hungry? Yes. Carne asada. Why am I saying this? Because carne and chili con carne all come from the word incarnate. It means flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh. Look what it says in John 1.14. He, Jesus, became flesh incarnate. And he dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all of creation, and in him Jesus. Verse 9 of the second chapter of Colossians, he is God in that the, full, the fullness of God dwells bodily in him. So Jesus was God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the one who laid down his life for us. Jesus is the Son of God. And he says in Luke 4, I came with the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord upon me to preach the good news. Look at Luke 4, verses 18 and 19. He says, The Spirit has compelled me and anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty. That means to bring about freedom for those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Friends, here's the reality. Jesus didn't just come to make you feel better about yourself. Jesus didn't come because you have some regrets in this life. Jesus didn't come because you know what? You failed in your first marriage. Maybe you won't fail in your second marriage. Jesus didn't come just so that you might be a better parent. Jesus came because of the desperate and dire need of humanity that they were dead in their sins. So the Son of God came forth, and for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whomsoever would believe in him shall not die, but have new life. So point number one, Jesus is the Son of God. Point number two, Jesus is a friend of every sinner. Now that's good news, isn't it? Because that means he's a friend of who? Us. You know, sometimes if we're not careful, we can look at the world and we can go, well, my next door neighbor, they're sinners. That person at work, they drive me mad. They're definitely a sinner. And sometimes we can be so thankful that Jesus came for everyone else that we actually lose sight that he came for us. And he died for us. Jesus is a friend of the sinner. He ate with the disenfranchised. He disrupted the the way of the world. He came and he confronted the religious leaders and he said, no, 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 we're going to care for people. We're going to have compassion for people. You know, sometimes the world pictures Jesus like a stained glass window. This is not a 
Maybe it is an older building, but it's certainly not old in the extent of where there is big stained glass windows. You know, some people in your community and in my community see Jesus as stained glass windows. He's hanging on a cross, or he's there, he's got a tear coming down his face. He's there, his hands are open like this. But yet what we don't see is Jesus who comes down from that cross and walks towards us and puts his arm around us. And as much as the media and as much as society and as much as culture might try to say this is who Jesus is, his judgment, or his people are judgmental. Can I tell you who Jesus is? Jesus is the one who walks towards us every time. In our suffering, in our shame, and you know what? In all reality, I think people want to meet that Jesus. Sometimes people don't want to meet the stained glass Jesus because he seems high and lofty and detached. But you describe a Jesus who walks towards them and puts his hand out towards them and holds them and holds the hands of their children and catches every tear that comes from their face. I want to now personalize this to you, friends. Jesus catches every tear you cry for your children. Jesus listens to every prayer you pray for your family. Jesus joins with you in interceding like warrior prayer every time you pray. That is who our Jesus is. He is a friend to every sinner. Point number three, Jesus is our substitute and the solution. Now, let me explain what this means. I'm a football fan, and uh, I would give you a lot of guesses to guess who my favorite football team is, but you would probably guess things like Arsenal and Tottenham and Fulham and all these Brentwood and all these pointless teams that are actually successful. Um, successful. Um, and uh, so let me tell you who I support. It actually really helps my prayer life. It really prompts me to pray more. Uh, I'm a Norwich City fan, and um, I appreciate your prayer. I receive that right now. Um, it compels me to believe in the miraculous, that God can do anything and even get us back into the Premier League. But anyway, why am I talking about football? Well, because I do invite your prayer for Norwich, but also because of substitutes. How many of you are football fans? How many of you just tolerate football? And how many of you would rather football never, ever existed? Okay, okay, some of you. So this analogy might not work for everyone. Okay. There is a fella by the name of Gareth Southgate. And he, in our analogy, represents the father. Father Southgate. He sounds Catholic. <laughs> father Southgate is the father in the analogy, and he has people that he puts out on the field to win a game. Partway through the game, if he determines that tactics have got to shift or personnel have got to be moved out, he puts in, around the 70th minute, a substitute. The substitute takes the place of somebody and hopefully does better. Now that's a game. Now step away from the game and put it into the context of heaven. God, recognizing that we were losing the war, we were losing the game, we were losing the battle, and we could do nothing to win. We didn't even know where the goal was. We didn't even know which way to shoot. We didn't know what defense was or offense was. We didn't know what a midfielder was. We didn't know. So the father put in a substitute, and because of the substitute, we have a solution. But what is the problem? The problem is sin. And friends, as much as sometimes we go, well, I sin a little bit, or I sin a lot, or I don't think I sin much at all, 
Friends, the reality is there are no good people or bad people per se. There are no, quote, educated people or primitive people. There are no conservative or labor people. Or in America, there's no Democrat or Republican. What am I going at? There are not criterion of people. There is this, you're dead or you're alive. There are two types of people when it comes to God. God doesn't look at you and say, well, you went through education, so I'm elevating you a little higher. The reality is, no matter how far you can jump, even if you can jump three feet, or if you can jump 30 feet, no one is able to jump the divide that is sin. Romans 3.23, for all have fallen short. Now visualize this. You're running as hard as you can run because you're a good person. You have a great education. You're a good dad or you're a good mom and you're generous and you're running, running, running because you're generous. And you go to jump and yet you can't bridge the divide. Because all of us fall short no matter how hard we try. So why does the substitute come? To jump for us and to bridge that divide. Jesus is the substitute and the solution. But what does that mean personally? It means that when Jesus went to the cross and laid down his life for us, he satisfied every curse. He provided a way for you to experience the fullness of God. And you go, but how is that love? Maybe you've visualized the stained glass window, or maybe you've seen a picture of the cross, or maybe you've seen the Passion movie that came out 20 years ago with Mel Gibson, and all you can visualize is blood. When you think of the cross, all you can visualize is lots of blood. Or maybe you're picturing the 39 lashings that went across his back in accordance to Roman law. And you go, God, how is that love? It seems like cosmic child abuse. I would never do that to my child. But it says in 1 John 4, 9 through 10, this is love. And this is the love of God made manifest among us, that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son. Friends, I told you it was really important that Jesus was fully human. And here is why. Humans created the problem. So a human was sent by the Father to be the solution to the human sin problem. So God became man to redeem man before God. He fixes it. And the reason it's just is because God isn't judging us that we're unable to bridge the divide. He bridges the divide for us. So who is Jesus? He is the only Son of God. He is the friend of every sinner. And he is the substitute and the solution. The Father puts him in that we can win. And I want to speak that over you right now. I actually love how quiet it is in here right now. I want to speak something over you. You might have had trauma in your childhood. You might have been abandoned by a husband or a wife. You might have been abused by a parent. You might find that as hard as you work, you never have enough money. There's always more month than money. And you go, can I win for once? I want to speak right now over you. Jesus one for once so that you can win every day in him and that is the gospel so yes he's a friend yes he is the solution yes he is the substitute and finally point number four jesus will return as hero of the kingdom story 
Friends, as true as it is that Jesus came, is as true as it is that he will return. And that is good news. And you know, there are lots of questions about how will he return. And in fact, there are a lot of theological terms that describe his return. But can I tell you, he will return when he is ready. And he will return and reclaim the church that are his. And he will look each and every one of us in the eye and he will say one of two things. Well done? Or why did you delay? Why did you not say yes? So who is Jesus? Jesus is the hero of the story. And friends, I want to leave you with this one thought. There are many of us in this room right now that I would assume, whether you're in the venue, in the balcony, or here in this main room, I would assume that many of you right now have said yes to Jesus. I've said yes to Jesus. But can I tell you, all too often when we say yes to Jesus, now I really want to speak to young people as well as old people. I want to speak to all of us. Sometimes we can say, Jesus, I'm so thankful that you saved me from my sin. I'm so thank you, thankful that you saved me from myself. But friends, I want you to realize something, that when you said yes to Jesus, he didn't just save you from your story. Now think of your story. It's different for each and every one of us. My story is different than yours. Jesus didn't just save us from our story. He saved us for a story. And all too often we say, Jesus, I'm so thankful I'm here, I'm ready to go to heaven. We live in this time, this now and the not yet. Jesus came to satisfy the curse, to pay the penalty of sin, but not to say, okay, now avoid bad things and I'll see you soon. He didn't say that. He said, now go into all the nations, preaching and teaching people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and really modeling for what it means to obey the Father. And he has entrusted something to us. So I want to take me right now. We have a few minutes left. I want to take me. I was born and raised in Suffolk. I was a good kid. But I wasn't saved. But I was a good kid. I was raised on a farm. I loved it. And my parents did everything to immerse me into the church reality. But then one day when I was 16, I went to Skegness to spring harvest. It's a convention that some of you might be familiar with, and I went to Skegness, and I was 16 years old, and I remember being in a room a little larger than this one, and there were, as I recall, around 1,200 people in the room. And a person much like I am right now was describing Jesus and standing at the front and telling everyone about Jesus, and I remember in that moment two things. One, I remember arguing with God, arguing with who God is and who Jesus is, and really grappling over it. I was 16 years old, so it wasn't massively intellectual, but it was me fighting with God. The other thing that I remember is my friend David pulling my jeans, saying, Daniel, sit down. And I said, what? He said, sit down. I didn't realize I was standing. I was the only one standing in a room of 1,200 people. And then I heard the preacher at the front say, I know there's going to be people here today that want to say yes to Jesus because somebody is already standing. And at that point, I realized I was standing in front of all of these people with tears running down my face. In that moment, and in the hours following, I surrendered my heart to Jesus. But friends, in that moment, God didn't just save me from that. He saved me for this. And he has saved you for something. He hasn't just saved you from something. He saved you for something. 
And that is the beauty of the church. And so when we gather as a church, and when we invite people to church, and when we pray for them to come to church, we are living what it is that Jesus has told us to do. Matthew 16, 19, we'll close with this verse. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He's giving you the very resource that he used when he did ministry. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The point being, you are commissioned to be the church. And that is the reason I said at the very beginning, don't go through the motions. So if you're a Jesus follower, don't go through the motions of faith. I sing because I should. I read the scripture because I ought. I go to church because good church people go to church. Rather, take the should out of it and insert into that the purpose of God that he has personalized for you when you said yes to him to go into all the world and to make disciples of all the nations. Amen? So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He is the only son of God. Who is Jesus? He is a friend of every sinner. Who is Jesus? He is the substitute and the solution. And point four, who is he? He is the king who shall return and reclaim his church and then the end shall come. That is who our Jesus is. And you know what? We get to know him. Wow. We get to know him. So let me leave you with this final thought. The answer to the question of who is Jesus is more important than life and death. It's the answer to everything in terms of saying yes to him. So for you right now, Jesus might be a religious reformer. For some of you right now, Jesus might be your parents' savior. But for you, ultimately, you have to answer, is he victorious Messiah or is he a compulsive liar? Because there's nothing in between. He can't lie a little bit. He can't redeem only a little bit. He is either or today. That's what we have to answer. Is he your victorious Messiah and you now know you're saved from for? Or is he a compulsive liar and you're like, this whole thing is ridiculous? Then explain this to me. He's changed people's lives of those sitting around you. He is leading a global work of restoration and recovery. His people are responding first in every war, in every situation, for every child who's lonely, for every person who needs prayer, for every person who longs for hope. It is his people who step up first. Tell me they are following Messiah because I believe that they are. Amen. I want to pray for us and I want to pray in terms of response and I want to say that faith is a bold action. It's not a thin feeling. By faith, through grace, we are saved. You saying yes, grace allowing you to do so, that you would declare he is king of kings and lord of lords. Will you stand with me? We're going to pray and then I'm going to get off this stage and we're going to celebrate who he is in our lives. But if you would say today, I need to say yes to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you don't know him. Maybe you were invited today. Maybe you've come the last few weeks. I'm so glad you're here. London Riverside has been working for this environment to be so appropriately fitting for you to experience Jesus right now. 
We're praying for you to say yes to him. We're praying for those of us today that have wandered a bit. We're not in the word. We're not praying. We're not living kingdom. We're not living missionally. And you would say today, I'm putting my yes back on the table. So I'm right now going to give each of you metaphorically a piece of paper that says yes on it. I'm just giving it to you. What do you do with your yes? Do you tear it up? Or do you put your yes on the table and say, I know he is who he says he is and he has saved my life. So if you would say yes to him today for the first time, in a moment I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Or if today you would say, even in the venue, overflow upstairs, wherever you are, you're saying, I want to re-surrender my heart to Jesus right now. I want to encourage you. And I'm going to raise my hand too, not just to inspire you to raise your hand, but to say, I'm with you. I'm saying yes to Jesus. If you would say yes to him right now for the first time or again, would you raise your hand with me right now? Come on, let's show Jesus that we're for him. Let's show Jesus that we're with him. Amen. Hands throughout this room. All right, let me pray. Father, we pray right now. We pray right now, believing God that you have sent your son, Jesus. And Jesus, we appeal to you right now. Would you come upon us? Would you be about us even in this moment right now? Father, those of us that have said yes to your son for the first time, those of us right now that are saying yes again, God, may we realize that we're not just saved from, we're saved for. And God, we can't save ourselves. We're trusting you to save us. We are, we are running to the altar. We are running to the mercy seat. God, we're running, we're running with burdens. We're running with brokenness. We're running with tears down our face. We're running with desperation, realizing that you have yet to deny the brokenhearted. You receive every one of us. You say yes. You declare a yes over each and every one of us. So Father, I pray right now, I feel prompted to pray this, that every yes, every promise. Some of you right now, you're believing God for a promise in your life. I believe that the Lord is saying to you right now, keep praying, keep pressing in for every yes. Is yes and amen in God. Is yes and amen. Receive and believe. Lean into that place. Trust and own that. Occupy that promise of God for your life. Jesus, we love you. And we say today, this is who you are. This is who you are to us. You're the son. You're the friend. You're the substitute. You're the solution. And you are coming back. And we say, come, Lord Jesus quickly. It's in your name we pray and everyone said, Amen. Amen. That's all from us here on our LRC podcast. If there's anything else you would like some more clarification on or you would like to take the next steps in your journey, then why not head over to our next steps page at londonriversidechurch.com forward slash next steps. That's all from us here today and we hope you have an amazing week.